Welcome to Surviving Society, a political podcast from a sociological perspective. I'm Saskia. I'm Chantelle. I'm Tito. So we're three sociology PhD students and each week we're going to talk about things that have annoyed us. Now normally we do this on kind of recent events, stuff that's happened. Um, this week we're taking a slightly wider view at uh, something that's annoyed us in the past year or so and that is Brexit. So Tiso, do you want to kick us off? Uh, what's annoyed you specifically about Brexit? I suppose before we carry on to kind of just clarify what we're talking about Brexit, I'm not talking about the uh, actual legal processes or anything like that. It's not that it doesn't interest me, but I'm more kind of concerned about the kind of cultural and social impact of Brexit. So I guess what made me annoyed was talking to one of my pals. Since Brexit happened, it's like talking to like a, a neo-Nazi. The things he says about immigrants, like they're all rapists and Brexit will help us get them all out. And I'm, I can't understand this because I've known this guy for a long time. And he's white, I'm black, obviously. And he says such racist things that it, it, it concerns me. And since Brexit, it's got worse. Mm. And so I, I started trying to understand, well, why is this the case? So I started looking at far-right groups, as I do, because I, I love them. So you, <laughs> I think I'm going to join one. PhD um, research. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like Brexit is kind of taking what was already there and kind of amplified it. Mm. It's kind of validated this kind of talk. So whether we're talking about race or uh, feminism or anything like that, Brexit's kind of, it's kind of magnified this kind of around the nexus of diversity and saying diversity is a bad thing and we want to go back to being alone and by ourselves in this kind of island nation. And What's diversity, Tiso? <laughs> well, no, no, it's, 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 such it's, a difficult it's, it's a difficult question, but it's important. There is a, people have a problem with diversity, so let's try and narrow it down. What do you think that people think diversity is? Right, so Especially I, that I think on the, far so right. the, the buzzword of diversity is a multicultural society, so in a nutshell, a kind of cosmopolitan place like London. It's all different races, all different groups. The, the classic example is the melting pot. Yeah. That, that's, that's diversity. That's, that's what people see diversity. I guess diversity has come to mean like the norm, but in terms of like ethnicity and race, the norm is white and diversity is when there's a non-white person <laughs> in the room, basically. Like, you know, I think it's become... Well, I, think, I, think I think it, it depends has... It depends who you're talking to. Well, I, think, I think diversity is, is, like you said, interesting. Like, I think that's not, it's not mainstream. So you've got, whether it's the kind of uh, gender, race, basically all the minorities. That's, that's well, yeah. Everyone that's not in the mainstream, that's diversity. Well, I don't know. I don't think all of this, like, I feel like if you're a traveller, People don't see inclusion of travellers as part of diversity. I feel like it's normally, it's normally means like Muslims and black people get to join, like get to be a part of it. Like not necessarily in charge or in power in any way, but like, you know, they might be associated. But I think, with... I think, but even like, because I've been speaking to someone who's a traveller as well recently, and they mm. seem like they see themselves as part of diversity because they're not part of the mainstream. Yeah, okay. Mm. And so this is, this is the thing. So I think diversity is, that melting pot where you talk about everyone else 
and why is the norm? Yeah. Everyone's got quite comfortable with talking about their issues with diversity and I think it's interesting how you mention a personal relationship and how you found that difficult after Brexit because he is now voicing his issues with diversity and I think that's what we've seen across the country basically breakdown of relationships well I guess it's because it feels it feels like to me like diversity is only ever really like a buzzword like it's never like a genuine commitment to being like oh you know the norm is not like the only thing you can be Mm. it's always like you're white or you're other and there's never like uh... I feel like diversity is kind of like you know it's like tokenism it's like okay well you know we'll have a woman on a panel show or we'll have like a brown person in our political party but it's not the same thing as actually like being inclusive in any way Mm. but you see like because when I talk to him about Brexit and stuff like that, like, I don't mind you having your opinion about talking about stuff like, like if you're talking about immigration or the kind of benefits that Brexit might bring, as like bringing people together. But what disturbs me is that when you talk about immigration, you talk about migrants or immigrants, you're talking to them with, with hate behind your in your in your in your heart. You're taking like these people are different. They're aliens. They're, you don't know any. You don't know any, or, or they're rapists, or you you such sweeping generalizations. And I'm saying like. I could have a debate with you about immigration, the, the, the benefits or whatever it is, but you're talking about from the point of view of like hating people, like they, they're, they're all criminals. I'm like, that's actually insane. Why would you say that? Do you also think, I don't know, it seems quite strange to me that someone would look at you and be like, I'm going to talk to him about how much I hate immigrants. Because you're black, you get put in the immigrant category mm-hmm. whether you are or not. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, how long is, like, your grandma yeah, was yeah. the first person to come here. So you're definitely, like, British, well, this but... Is, this is the insane thing. And I, I, and I sit there and I, and I try to make sense of it and I try to rationalise it. And sometimes I, I can't. Because I think to myself, like, the way you're... Like, a few years ago, people were talking about me or my parents in the same way you're talking to, about, talking to me about... Muslims or the other thing about Syrians. <laughs> I don't know why. He's like the Syrians are coming over because of the war. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, David Cameron promised to bring over three. Yeah. So <laughs> gonna but, be totally overrun. But this is the thing. Like I remember, I like, I was talking to one of my uh, ex girlfriend of mine about Brexit before it happened, and I said, from my experience, the language that people are using, speaking. It's reminiscent of a, of, a, of, a, of a time when this was okay to speak like this. And I said, we've, we've come so far. Like, when people talk about being politically correct, like, that's a bad thing. Like, being politically correct is a good thing, but like, you can't offend people. Like, one of the things my mates would say, like, T, we can't sing Barbara Black Sheep. Yeah, you're right, because it's, t- it's taking the piss, man. Yeah. Can't you see that? And they're like, oh, it's politically correct, it's gone mad. I don't want to go back to a time where people are talking about. <clears throat> being openly offensive to people but it's too late you're in it I know, you, you, but when you talk <laughs> about being openly offensive because i would say your friend talking to you being like yeah. okay immigrants is pretty offensive but what right, are you so talking about i'm talking about like so like i'm I, obviously being brought in that brought up in an era like i think i can remember when people say on tv like calling someone a coon on tv calling someone a nignog and everyone laughing about it being a joke but who's it a joke to or like all the stuff where <clears throat> Like we're finding out about now about the abuse of women, like half of my seems like talking about back in the day it was okay to be like that. It, it was never okay. 
But it was okay for you because you had the power. But for the yeah. women, it was never okay. And people, like, it seems like they were, I don't know who these people are, I don't know how to define them. But the people that are scared, these reaction people, they want to go back to this time where they had the power. Mm. It was okay for them to take the piss, but you can't say anything about it. Back to it. I don't want to go back to that where I used to watch football matches and people throw like, bananas on the pitch. And I say to mum, why are they doing that? Because he's a monkey. People do monkey chants at football. You ever watch that? Like, sitting there watching match, watching match of the day and you can hear someone going, ooh, 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 the whole crowd doing this. The whole crowd doing this. Like don't pull that shocked face. That no, is like a standard. They didn't edit it out. No. <laughs> no, but I'm, no, I'm not sure that it happened. I'm sure that on match of the day they were just like, yeah, look at this amazing shot. And behind them, everyone's you, doing racist chants. You hear monkey chants and you hear them on TV and you'd be like, Fucking hell. this is nuts. Or you watch Afghan and Duff do his partner, call this geezer like a sambo and all this kind of stuff. And I'd be like saying to my mum, I'm a kid, you're trying to understand the world. Yeah, I think what's, what's interesting about what you're um, observing, Tiso, is language, yeah, that, is, that was typical of the past. What's come out in Brexit is actually the people that people were concerned about being in this country or being part of the UK. That's not what Brexit was about, but it's because it is now about... I feel like it's exactly what Brexit was about. No, no, I mean, I mean, the, I mean the fund, what, is, what does Brexit is about leaving the EU? No, I, I think that the whole Eurosceptic thing is so rooted in racism. Like the yeah, no, no, I, I totally agree, but I don't think people realised... The extent. Yeah, I... I don't know, I just... I don't know, I think, like, what you're saying about, like, people feeling it's okay to, like, air their racist views, I think the thing is, your friend probably doesn't say things like coon or whatever. No, right, so me and him have got... Right, he's my pal, so yeah. we know how far we can push it, but... But what, do you think he'd say it to other people? Like, do you think it's acceptable? Listen, listen, I've seen him, I've seen, I've witnessed firsthand something say, you're a fucking immigrant. Got out of the car because that was the food parking, and the first thing that came to you, we have massive arguments about yeah. it, right? But the first thing, the first thing he said was, "You're not, you're an idiot. Not you're a fucking dick. Yeah, you're a fucking immigrant. Get like this yeah. is this is it's a time of abuse. Yeah, it's, and that's yeah. what I'm saying. But he's always like that. He's always had that in him. But as Brexit's gone on, and as these groups that are feeding on Brexit, like Britain mm-hmm. First, on Facebook and all that. It's kind of like this echo chamber where people are thinking, yeah, and they kind of try to justify it like, yeah, I, I can say what I want because I've got freedom of speech, this is a country with yeah. freedom. And I got, into, I got into this debate with someone on the, like a random guy on the train the other day. I said, like, freedom's an abstract concept. I said, in reality, freedom comes with limits. Yeah, of course. Limits are the law, and like, you can't break the law. If you start breaking the law, you have no freedom. So, what did you say to me yesterday? Freedom means having rules. rules. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like, it's exactly like the thing about free markets, right? So, you know, the whole Brexit thing is like, oh, we're going to get rid of EU regulation, we're going to have free trade, blah, blah, blah. It's like, like, markets, free markets take regulation, like, unless the state puts loads of rules in place and has all these trade agreements, which take years to agree and all that kind of stuff, Mm. it doesn't work. Like, you can't, like, that's why not all countries just use free markets because it takes a huge amount of effort yeah. and state regulation. You need rules. Rules provide yeah. rules give you freedom. I think I think that I think that's sorry, that's not even me, that's Kant. That's like <laughs> that's Kant, that's Kant, it's not me. Another racist. Yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but, but, but he's such a great philosopher. But, um, <laughs> 
But like I said, that, that, that's how they try to carry out this argument. Like, so I can say what I want because it's free. No, you can't say what you no, want. No, but the thing is, I think the other side of that is in the press at large, people know that they can't say exactly what they want to say. Mm-hmm. So Nigel Farage can't come out and say explicitly, like, we want to get rid of black people because, mm-hmm. you know, they're not British, they're not one of us, we want to get rid of them. But you can be like, use like codes mm-hmm. like be it's about immigrants like you can argue oh i'm not being racist because some immigrants are, are white mm-hmm. but we all know what he means yeah by that. That, that 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 this coded language is i suppose the most insidious most offensive to me like because he nigel farage uh, tommy robertson katie Hopkins, they talk in codes and they say like we know who they're talking about they're talking about a certain group of people they won't come out and say outright it's Muslims or, or sometimes actually I'm like sometimes they do at the moment they're quite bold mm-hmm. but um, they um, they use code and people know who they're talking about and so when they start talking about immigrants or migrants that's what I say to my, my friend where are you drawing a line who are you talking about mm. today you're talking about Muslims tomorrow are you talking about black people I think or Chinese of, yeah. people or Irish I think, people yeah, or Irish people where, where, where do you draw the line I think one of his probably most powerful statements that he made and the most Awful and dangerous was to do with him. Sorry, this is Nigel. Nigel sorry, this is not Nigel Farage. So one of the most powerful and damaging statements Nigel Farage made in the build-up to Brexit was him describing being on a train oh, and yeah. not hearing any um, English, English being spoken. Yeah. And that is something that resonates with people because that is something that people would experience but at the same time we also all know that the places that voted leave I know are the places with the fewest migrants exactly it's not so it's, people it's, it's can live yeah. with migrants people can live yeah. with difference people can yeah. live with people who don't speak the same language or like you know are not like don't have the same mother tongue as them but what people can't live with is the imagined fear of an invasion by Others. Yeah. We see that's it. It's bang on, right? So that's my pal, he said to me, he's keeping me. He said, "T, London's finished. London's finished." So you, you see, you see, you, sorry, sorry. You see, in like in all their, in, like, in, in most far right propaganda, they call they refer to London as London Star. So you see memes. It's and Kate Hopkins. Yeah. Kate you see London Star. London Star. It's finished. It's finished. And I'm saying, listen. So Britain first comes down to my bit. Come down to like uh, Whitechapel, and they've come down to the mosque. And I'm saying, listen, you, you're not from here. You're, you're telling me there's a problem, but you're not from here. So you're like, so Britain, Jada, friends and all that, they're, they're telling me, you're not from East London, you're not from the East End. Like, as an East End, like, as a, I'm irrationally proud of where I'm from, right? <laughs> it's ridiculous. But I want to tell them that you're, not, you're, you're creating problems, you're telling me about where I live. Yeah. I'm telling you about the reality. So I go to the, I, I, I walk past the mosque every day, there's no problems. Yeah, you might get the odd crazy person, like you would anywhere. Yeah. Because that's people. So, yeah, no, you're both right. So maybe what I mean about, or maybe what I mean about Nigel Farage making that statement is that resonated with people who were scared of yes. that happening to yes. them, yeah. rather than people actually thinking, oh yeah, that does happen to me. It's actually him planting that fear. But that's why I think like Brexit is so much about Britain's like imagined decline. Yeah, like Britain no longer has an empire. We no longer have people who are subjected to British rule who we can feel mm-hmm. superior to. We just have other people in the UK to worry about. We're searching for that place again, that identity again like, of being great. But listen, I, I'll tell you this now, it's over. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to, there's no problems about it, it's done. Like, listen, 
right? And plus, when you come out of Brexit, you have to realise the situation you put yourself in. You're no longer part of a European club where you were at the top table, even though yeah. you had fuck all. You still you were at the top table. Yeah. So you voluntarily come out of that, right? Now, you, you can't rely on America anymore because America just boiled you off. It said you're a, it doesn't even think you're anything. Russia has even pointed out that we're nothing. He said, like, remember the Crimean War? Talking about when we were great. So you have to realise our place in the world now. We're not, we're not the big, we're not the big I am. We're not the bully, we're the person standing behind the bully. Yeah, exactly. So Pointing. Not, Pointing. But, listen, but that's not a problem. But as long as you know where you are. Yeah. But we can't go around looking for this, this, this nostalgia of, like, of the past. It's over. Yeah. But we had, we had a good run. We had, a, we had an amazing run. <laughs> Some people, serious, some people did. Some people did. People that like it. <laughs> yeah, the West Indies did really no, well after colonialism. You're talking about like, in, in the concept of Britishness and the Empire and all that. Yeah. Britain in, in the world, in global scheme, we had a good run. They made a fuck ton of money. We had the most of money with the centre of the world. People still talk about how great Britain is. Like, if you go to the West Indies, this, my, my nan loves it. Loves it that she's from part of the empire. She loves it. Really? Yeah, listen, she hey, loves no, it. No, you know what? My nana says the exact same thing. So listen. I, I uh, my nana was born in the Seychelles. Yeah. Which was a, I don't know if it was what it was a British protector or whatever. Grew up on an island, just like it was a bit like Caribbean, yeah. learning about British history. And I remember saying to her like, "Why the hell did you come to the UK? Like, why would you want to live in Oxfordshire? Hmm. It's shit." And she was like, "I fell in love with." <laughs> Like, yeah. if you grow up with this mythical country... Yeah, listen, but listen, for me, my own personal view, I love... The thing that made me get into, like, sociology and politics, you know, I love British history. I love history in general. So when I started learning about William the Conqueror, I love all that. It actually makes me so happy to talk about it. Like, someone asked me about Game of Thrones, like, I get to talk about the War of the Roses for days, because I thought... Is that what it's based on? Yeah. Because yeah. oh. I fucking love it, right? <laughs> I should really But watch I'm all... <laughs> Illegal TV. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know I mean? shall, shall we move on? Yeah. yeah go on, okay. Go on. Chantal, what specifically about Brexit are you angry about? Um, so I guess follows on a little bit from what Tiso's just been talking about, which is the racism which I believe informed Brexit. It's what we've been left with after Brexit. Um, and in particular, um, the hidden racism that was um, prevalent during the campaign for in the referendum, so by um, Leave and Remain. I want to mention um, Thomas Mayer, who murdered Joe Cox, the guy who shouted Britain first as he killed her on the 16th of June. I think, for me, when that happened... Alarm bells obviously rang. This is a, a politician, an MP, who had done some amazing work for Syrian refugees, for campaigning, um, lobbying the government to do more in Syria, like a real amazing constituent MP and overall politician. And she was killed by Thomas Mayer because she represented something which he believed was outside of his politics. I don't believe there was enough attention given to the reasons why Joe Cox was murdered by Thomas Mayer. Um, she was martyred by him and I think 
because the campaign had been so divisive by both Remain and Leave, that people were very quick to say, oh, this wasn't a political, this wasn't political, this was a madman. No, this happened because the press, because politicians, because the establishment allowed for it to happen. They created, they have created over a number of years, this is Labour government, Conservative government, coalition government, a climate of hate and racism. Do you know what? It's, it's the fear. Yeah. They've tapped into that fear and that, that fear is a kind of populist fear. Mm-hmm. Like, it, like, I think, obviously, you need to go back to like 9 11. Like yeah. 9 11 is it's so kind of. No, I think it goes, I think it does yeah. go to 9 11, yeah. It, that struck the core of like, West of the West of the Western world, like you're atta- attacking America, mm. not not just Britain, America, the, the the top dog, right? So that kind of strikes a fear in people, mm. right? And this fear, ever since then, people have been playing on that fear. And yeah. Brexit, Brexit, Trump, and all that, they successfully tapped those notes, boom, 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 boom. But it's like no, it's like things that they have been like. I think it's really important not to just pin this on services or the coalition, like. This is something that New Labour played on again and again. It's the war on terror, it's the fear. It's like, on the one hand, New Labour, you know, opened the doors to migration from Europe, and on the other hand, built on this fear of migration yeah, as something definitely. that was going to destroy British society. But I think if you're, if you're, if you're a politician, a, a sure vote winner is tapping on that fear, fear of the other. You, just, you don't have to press really hard. You say softly, you say the right words, and yeah. people fall into light quite quickly. And people yeah. take sides. I think. Oh, sorry, I read, it was really interesting. So, reading this David Goodhart book, um, who's an old, um, <laughs> he talks about the British jobs for British workers thing, <laughs> and he um, says that you know this is such a reasonable. You know, everyone said it was racist, but it's such a reasonable thing to say. So I looked into it a bit more. Basically, it's a far right slogan. Yeah. That. They, you know, the National Front used to use a British jobs for yes. British workers. 100%. And that has become so mainstream that a left of centre politician can propose it as policy and then... And no one's saying anything, like it's normal. Everyone's like, oh yeah, good idea. British yeah. jobs for British workers was used after Wimrush. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's, it's a recurrent idea yeah. that somehow, it's like... Forget the fact that, you know, half the country was deindustrialized mm-hmm. and loads of people lost like secure, like skilled and semi-skilled manual jobs. I forget that, you know, like there's been deinvestment in public uh, goods and public spaces, there's been like privatization and you know, the whole like open markets that you know, like there's been a total lack of protection of people's right to live uh, kind of reasonably stable lives mm-hmm. and like you know there's been like I don't know I think if you look at the way the country deindustrialized basically the new Labour government made up for that by employing loads of people um, in like back office government functions or by the state like tax credits like making a kind of social security system that people could live on um, whilst at the same time being like you're all reliant on the state, like you're all lazy, you're all work shy. And then the coalition comes on and go comes along and goes, Yeah, you are all lazy and work shy, we're gonna cut everything. Mm. So then you get this whole group of people who've been through all this like economic shit this and is- then you say it's because of the migrants. This is, this is, this is, this is, this is classic strategy. So the working classes have kind of been like 
all their kind of protection has been lost. They're kind of yeah. been at the kind of mercy of the economics. Globalization is almost like feel like it's failed them. And then, like I said, if you want to pin the blame on someone, it's, it's that lot over there. Yeah, and it's so much easier for politicians yeah. to say that than like, oh, sorry, guys. <laughs> but it's up there. What the madness is, it, how it plays out in the real world is, when you go to like an estate, when you go to an, like a council flat, you're fighting over the same resources. So what they're saying plays out in your reality. So you're thinking, boom, like, I put my name down for a flat. Mm-hmm. Who am I in competition with? It's a bunch of immigrants. And that's, that's the reality. You're like, boom. So you're thinking, yeah, that narrative from up there makes yeah. sense because it's, you see it in your real world. Yeah, forget the fact that the government has routinely like, yeah. sold off council housing and not built any for decades. This is the thing. You, know, you just see, you just see, you see there's, there's two flats there or one flat there and we're all going for it. Yeah. And you're thinking, if he gets it, rather than examine it rationally, because you don't, you examine it from an emotional point of view. Yeah. And you think they've got that flat. It's because of the immigrants. Yeah. And those and those narratives that have been created by people with power, ultimately, I believe, led to Joe Joe Cox being killed, and uh, a referendum that was based on identities and ethnicities that we should hate. I think everything that you both have just spoken about all contributes to. Um, you see the, the two leave campaigns, right? So the one led by Nigel Farage was the one that was tapping all those kind of emotional, uh, emotive kind of, like, mm-hmm. those kind of coded racial words about like, that appearing with the, 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 that, that kind of slogan with the immigrants behind him, but yeah. the hordes, the masses, and all those kind mm-hmm. of, the same terms they're using in the 80s, yeah. same terms they used in the 70s when the Ugandan Asians came over, the same thing. And it, uh, it upsets me that people can't see like this, it's European yourself. It's, it's not new what you're saying, You've, you've said it a million times. Yeah, but that's why it's so powerful because, like, those those messages that people draw, and if you say them enough times, like, like the point is, it doesn't matter if it's true. Mm. Like this guy who killed Joe Cox, whatever he thought about her, it doesn't like it's nonsense. Of course, that's that, that is what I'm. That's sorry, that is what I'm trying to say. It's complete bullshit. But no one takes responsibility for that bullshit. I think so it becomes the truth. Yeah. And like her, her. The thing that they put up in the House of Commons was like her maiden speech in the House of Commons was something like... More in common? Yeah, we, yes. have, we have more in common than that which divides us. And yet, I know it's just so ironic that that's put up as almost like a depoliticised thing. Like, oh, isn't it a nice thing to say? And it's like, that should be a comment on everything that happened in the Brexit campaign and all the years before that about things like migration and ethnicity. But it, To make people reflect, like... You know, by racialising people and by saying immigrants are ruining our lives, you are creating that division. That is not a natural division. Mm. But you see, I try to understand it like... So obviously, that guy was kind of influenced by British First and National Action. Thomas Mayer. Yeah. Sorry, yes, yeah, so Thomas Mayer was influenced by these kind of far-right groups. So I try to understand it from their point of view. Like, why would you want to do this? Why do you feel so under threat? Oh, and also, sorry, it's worth noting that he he had lots of um, Ku Klux Klux Klan Mm -hmm. propaganda. Mm -hmm. So it was the extreme end. Yeah, so he's super right. So National Action is a prescribed far right group. um, Proscribed rather than. Yeah, sorry, proscribed. No, 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 I'm just saying for my own clarity. (laughs) They're banned. They're cast as a terrorist organisation. And National Action are pretty. Uh, all the kind of UK far right groups I look at, they're pretty extreme. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah, yeah they're, they're, they're terrorist groups. So if you're a member, you're you're going to prison basically. 
Um, yeah, didn't they all just go to prison recently? Yeah, some, some they found some in the army and all that kind of stuff. In the army? Yeah. yeah. Oh, the army. Kel Supreme. But, um, <laughs> but these guys are probably. So, National Action, before they were banned, they used to, they used to um, recruit exclusively from universities. So, they're, they're quite well educated. They're, they've got degrees, they're well versed in Western philosophy. Well, what's his face? Oh, what's his name? The guy who's head of the BNP. Oh, Nick Griffin. Nick Griffin. He's he's okay. Okay. Yeah, he's Cambridge. Cambridge. Yeah, he's Cambridge. Down right in Cambridge. college, Cambridge. <laughs> <laughs> so, but why is that more shocking than Oxford? I don't know. In my head, Oxford's a bit whiter than Cambridge. But they just uh, each other. I think they're both pretty much as bad as each other from that point of view. Okay. <laughs> I don't. But I mean, I don't mean Cambridge. Ethically, I think it's like marginally more state school. Yeah. But, Sorry. Got yeah, no, but like national action are pretty. Yeah, pretty hardcore, man. Like, they advocate violence, and so when I found that that kind of that Thomas Mill had been influenced by it, 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 it didn't shock me because these people are scared. They fit, they actually perceive a white people as being victims of multicultural, victims of the EU, victims of people that things outside their control. So, they want to wrest control back. And I get that as a human being, I, I can understand that they feel powerless. Is it controversial that I think that after um, Thomas Mayer did what he did, that I really believe that the referendum should have been called off? I remember thinking, like, I don't know, there's no way that Leave or Win now, like, they've, their campaign's been exposed for what it really is. <laughs> yeah, I just, maybe, 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 I just thought, I, I, said, yeah, I, meant, yeah. I said when, I was just saying that when, you found out that she had died, it did raise alarm bells for me because I was so far removed from thinking mm. that Leave would win but, that that was just like, whoa, but there are some really, really pissed off people in this country. I knew they were there. I mm. knew racists were there. I've come across them my whole life, but I didn't know how many. But you see, I think what, I think what made it... Even though we saw all these kind of na- these nasty these nasty things happening, it's the language that it was couched in that made these things not really matter. Because yeah, well, because it wasn't he portrayed as like oh he's mentally ill. Yeah, he's, he's a lone nutter. But even then, like even the debates about Brexit, it's not it wasn't couched in the terms of race or anything. It was couched in what terms like sovereignty. Take back control. It's, even my mate, right? And so my power, the one I was talking about earlier. He was the most unclinical person. I had spoken to him for a while. He started telling me about sovereignty. I was like, can you even spell the word? I was truly shocked because he never, he never said the word. And when I'd, when I'd give him like, when I'd give him lectures about the right to self-determination or anything like that, he he'd told me to fuck off and get out of the car. And so suddenly he's lecturing you about something. So all of a sudden he started to, and then it, it showed you how the kind of, the dynamics Brexit started getting people talking about terms that, these people necessarily won't even talk about. So if you're talking about sovereignty, I was like, what do you understand by that? Like, how do you, what is sovereignty? I said, so even if you leave the EU, I said, do you understand that Britain's still part of the WTO, the UN, who sometimes their, their rules override our sovereignty? I was listening to this Will Davis podcast on um, Brexit uh, and reading something else by him, I can't remember which it came from. 
But he was saying that the idea of take-back control you know, has this really emotional power, the idea of sovereignty. Even if people have no idea what it means legally or politically, the idea is, is like the Queen is the head of the British state. We're going to take back control of our government. We're going to, like, things are going to be, basically, it's like things are going to be done for our benefit for mm-hmm. once, not for the benefit of these like, anonymous people. migrants or for the EU. Like, whether or not it's true just doesn't matter. It's like the emotional power yeah. of it. And so it comes down to emotional response because like I've realised when I'm arguing with him, regardless of what I say, it's an emotional response. So yeah. even when I talk to him about, so when people talk about Brexit, it kind of brings up nations' uh, feelings of patriotism and invariably history. And they, their bad understanding of British history, it, it offends me. For someone who loves history, it offends me. The, the first thing they talk about is World War Two. Is that all you talk about? I, I do know what you mean when I see... Yeah, people like Nigel Farage, like, what would I do if I saw it? I just don't... I think I'd just scream at him. Yeah, I saw it in a band on the tube once, and I went, you cost us the election! <laughs> and then his friend turned around to me, like, his friend was, had just said goodbye to him, was walking past me, and he heard me, and he was like, and like, he made a face at me, and I was like, oh, sorry, and he went, oh, no, I agree with you. <laughs> pissed off about the way just the way that the way the campaign was run the fact that the referendum was called in the first place I mean that's a whole other story David Cameron um, needing power anyway he was going to well, get that by appeasing the, the Eurosceptic side of his party the tour oh, it's just so irresponsible it is it's so irresponsible the mind boggles and the absolute hypocrisy of being like we need to cut government spending and putting so many people through so much pain on that basis and then being like but we're going to spend billions on civil servants in order to leave the European Union you're like great and and don't forget because we didn't get a majority we're also going to pay the pay the DUP to be part of our government oh but I love people who hate abortion and women and gays they're my favourite kind of people (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> um, right, yeah. so I sat- feel exhausted <laughs> after all that. that was hot, wasn't it? We knew this was going to be a big one. Yeah. Okay, Saskia, what has annoyed you about Brexit? Um, so, this is something that came up on the BBC, I think it was yesterday, and it's something that happened. Uh, a little while ago, but it's only just been in court. So a guy called Demetrius Legakis, who, um, so my son is Papadakis, so we're both from Crete uh, at some point. Um, he is the photographer for Swansea Football Club, and they were on an away game in Middlesbrough, and some guy heard him speaking with a foreign accent. So, you know, this is a Greek guy. He, like you know, looks like most Southern Europeans, like a bit brown, with brown hair and brown eyebrows, um, like kind of heavy eyebrows. And they had him speaking a foreign accent. And so they beat the shit out of him and they broke both his arms. I think it was one guy broke both his arms. Um, and there's pictures of like his face and like his injuries and it's horrific. And 
I don't know, like, obviously, I would never look at an instance of hate crime and be like, oh, that's okay, but obviously, like, when you see someone who could be all relative or something, there's something, like, really resonant about it, and, you know, reading this article, it was reporting that hate crimes um, in England and Wales have risen by 29% in 2016 and 17 like that's a huge increase and for all those people who say like oh you know i go to sleep and i'm not racist like i don't think every leave voter is racist but the point is that it is this like normalization of racist attitudes this normalization of like you're a foreigner so you're not one of us um but it made me think also about how i grew up absolutely and utterly convinced that I am white. I was white. Um, and I still don't really know what I think about this because I think in many ways, you know, I get white privilege and I'm not going to sit there and be like, oh my God, like, um, my life's so hard because of racism, because it isn't. But the way this guy's been seen as foreign um, and not part of this country, you know, like, I was born in the UK, um, and my mum was born in the UK, my dad wasn't, um, and you know, I have this like very distinctive Greek surname. Um, I went to school in London and I probably was a bit browner than most of my friends, but it wasn't until I went to university. And like, you know, also, this is something that we talk about a lot, is that like, I used to get a lot of male attention from the age of 11 for being like exotic or for being exotic and wearing a school uniform. Um, but yeah, it wasn't until I went to university and I would look at photos, I don't know if you guys ever had this, I'd look at photos of pictures of me and my friends and be like, God, who's that brown girl in the corner? Because when you're with people who are that white all the time, you just think like, oh, I'm just like, I don't know, you, you start forgetting that you look different until people remind you of it. Mm -hmm. And then, you realise how much people remind you, do you know what I mean? Like, you realise how much people remind you of it. Mm -hmm. um, and then, like, to kind of add to that, so when we were going to, like, we realised we were leaving the European Union, we were like, shit, like, we need to get Greek citizenship. And my dad gave up his Greek passport 30 years ago because he never actually lived in Greece. He was born in um, Tanzania when it was a British colony and came to the UK when he was 11 and was constantly almost being deported because he came over at a time when like uh, immigration laws were becoming more and more restrictive. Um, so when he finally got his British passport, he was like, fuck it, like I don't want this Greek passport, you know, it's been like a, the bane of my life. And he's just got his Greek passport again. It's really interesting looking at both of them. So one from 30 years ago, he's got this massive afro. <laughs> like honestly, he looks like Michael Jackson. <laughs> when Michael Jackson was black, which is confusing. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got a massive afro. And now, you know, he's like a member of the establishment. Yeah. But he, like, in a way, he looks more foreign than ever because it's like, the then and us distinction, he's been put on the outside again. Like having mentally, you know, like his whole life, you know, we've got like a Mercedes estate, a nice house in Islington, three kids at private school. It's like all these symbols of being part of like the establishment class. He's assimilating, you think he's assimilating? Yeah. So what, exactly. does, it, what does assimilate mean, guys? It means, so you're not part of a group but you, through like various processes, managed to assimilate to becoming part of the group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so for example, I don't know, you could argue that like, 
don't know why this is the example that popped into my head. Irish people used to be massively discriminated against mm -hmm. in the UK uh, when a large, like it was a big Irish migration mm -hmm. in the 19th century mm -hmm. and, and 20th century. And now Irish people are basically seen as like part of the white majority. Mm -hmm. So you'd say they've assimilated. So similarly, my dad kind of assimilated to being the white majority and then suddenly with Brexit, we're not. Like, we are not part of the group anymore. Mm -hmm. And as part of that, I started realising the extent to which both my mum's family and my dad's family have found themselves on the outside in various ways. But then I, like, I think, like, I was looking at my own, my, my family's story. So obviously my grand came here in the late 40s, early 50s as one of the Windrush generation to come over. Windrush was the... Um was the sh well, boat or ship, should we call it? Ship. It's a ship. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, which brought um, West Indian uh, migrant labourers to come to the UK to make up for the labour shortage that the UK had after the Second mm -hmm. World War. So we look at my mum's generation, so that process, so my family's process of assimilation, so from my nan, from the first generation, up until like myself and my, my younger cousins, this process, when I, look, when I look at it, like, have we ever been assimilated? Because mm. at various times, people will point out my difference. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So even when, so I'm like, fourth generation? No, you're not. Third generation. <laughs> Sorry, third generation. So third generation. Yeah. So even my third, being the third generation, people at various points in my life will still point out that you're not from here. But what brings it... <laughs> Well, I don't think it's even pointing it out. With, it's defining you yeah, as not being yeah. from here. But even but even at some, like some point, some like what you were saying about Brit Britain first. You were saying to them, "You're not an East Ender," yeah. and they're saying to you, "Well, you're not Britain." Yeah. So yeah, you're not from here. <laughs> Nor are you. You're not from here. I'd, I'd rather have the gentrifiers, the hipsters. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, I'm only I'm second generation, even though I'm 24. Mm. Um, my dad came, grew up in the States, but was uh, born in Kenya. Um, and I have never felt more black in my life after really? following Brexit. And I guess in, I mean that um, in a way of feeling like the outsider and marginalised. Like there's so much about my blackness that I'm really proud of. Mm. Of course, I'm very proud to be a black woman, but so many people aren't proud of me for being a black woman, mm. and that's something that's really resonated with me in the last year. Um, I often tell people that are close to me about how many times I've been racially abused since Brexit. Yeah. No, I am. I'm in middle class circles. I'm in postgraduate education. Like I'm very privileged, but I have been told about six times since 23rd of June's Brexit, mm. since Brexit, to go back to my fucking own country, um, that I'm a mixed race bitch who doesn't belong here. Um, and that uh, the, the, con the constant is to go back to my own country. But you know what the madness is, right? So I, I can remember marches, rallies, where people would say that, go back to where you're from. Mm. and. When you see that, you associate it with archive footage of the past, don't you? Yeah, you, you associate it with like a skinner with yeah. bad teeth. Yeah, the 70s and the 80s, and you yeah. associate it with the bad times. And I think to myself, like, 
Brexit is, is it, it, it's unearthed all these things I think to myself that they're always there but we kind of pushed them to the side I think we were making progress but I think we're still this is why I think it's really important that we talk about this stuff on our podcast as an alternative to the news because I still think it's something that they're pushing out that they're not talking about whereas it's happening people are being racially abused people are being victims of hate crime every single day more yeah. than ever this is what really bothers me when people go on about like oh you know, you lefty liberals, you're so easily offended, you know, like, free speech means that I have the right to offend you. It's like, I don't think you have any concept of what it means to be offended. Like, calling someone a mixed-race bitch, is that really, like, what is within your rights as freedom of speech? Yeah, see, I, it, it always comes to limits, but that's, that's what drives me wild. They, they try to bend and use these arguments, and they try to present it as a very kind of philosophical argument like I've got the right to say what I want to say and they, they'll quote different people about saying listen you can't go around offending me you can't be saying anything well listen I've got we've, we've gone through stages where you had your right you say things about me I'm not having it no more mm. you can't say you can't be like that anymore I'm just not having it and like you know you can't if you have no experience of that it's not just about being offended it's like the mark that it leaves on you as a person mm. Listen, it's for life. Yeah, you're just taking the piss now. We've been through that. Yeah. We've been, it's 2017. All I want to care about is flying cars and laser guns. I don't even have to deal with 1930s <laughs> progressive attitudes. I don't care about it anymore. He means that. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I want a lightsaber. Invest money in making, in making the lightsaber. Not talking about how backwards we are or talking about. It's ridiculous to me now. But this, this, is, this is real, and that's what I really want to get out there. Like, I just thought I was also called um, more recently a fucking nigger as well. Um, I don't think I've ever been called. I don't think I've ever been called that in my life. I grew up in a very white town. Went to a very white university. Yeah, I've been probably victim quite, to quite a lot of casual racism. But I think the, the over adult style racism that I've experienced since Brexit. Yeah. So I think yeah, this is something we were talking about about how there was this big shock about how racist people are being after Brexit and about like oh my god like this isn't my country like mm-hmm. I didn't think Britain was like that and I think the point is those thoughts those ideas they were always there they were always under the surface mm-hmm. and they were always being expressed in different ways it's just that with Brexit suddenly people feel like totally legitimated like you know I countless people have said to me oh the day after Brexit I was told to go home for the first time like, or you know, people saying like, "Oh, I thought we'd got rid of you." Like, why are you still here? Like, all that stuff, and like Tito says that you know. So my granddad was half Italian, had an Italian surname when he was at public school um, in the. Well, how old is my granddad? In the fifties, you know, he was racially abused and those things they're so ingrained in British culture just because you can't use those specific terms but suddenly like even those are okay yeah because the establishment have said okay like no one has to say oh you know it's no holes barred say whatever you like but everyone feels like that is what Brexit is about that's what's been legitimated I think what's Brexit I think what it's revealed to me is like what's always been the case that there's a kind of British people are struggling to identify who they are mm. like what is Britishness what is Englishness and like there is kind of this kind of this issue and Brexit's kind of like 
I know what it is. It's people saying to me um, at university, oh, I wouldn't go out with you because you're brown. I only go out with white people. <laughs> it's just people saying No, but you know what I mean? No, but it's, it's that... Who said it's, that to you? I've had so many men say to me that they would never get with me because I'm brown. And you're like... As in white, I've had so many white men say that to in, me. That wasn't on the cards at all. They were just like in conversation. Or... Oh, 100%. Oh my God. I couldn't count my... That's so interesting, even... isn't it? Because like, even by saying that, you feel like underneath that, there's like a desire for like the exotic or the other. Like they're looking at you and being like, oh, you know, I want to fuck her. But then they're telling you I wouldn't because you're not. So that's what Britishness is to, that is what it is to me. That, that, it, Britishness that. is racism. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I used to ask people, I saw some of my pals, I used to take them like, are you proud to be British? Is it, I think it's interesting, especially I ask if it's minorities. No, I think that's, I am, I am mortified to be British. Just, I, I like being. I'm proud of being British. Uh, furthermore, I, I I go one further. I'm a Londoner, right? Yeah. Boom, that's me. I'm not even a Londoner. I'm an East Londoner. I don't really like any of parts of London, like. <laughs> you know what I mean? Creature of habit. The point is, like, I'm I'm proud of where I'm from. Right? If I go anywhere, like if I went, when I go back to the West Indies, I'm not from the West Indies. I'm not no. born there. I'm from literally. I'm from East London. I that's what I support, that's what I know and what I love. Do you know what I mean? So. I, I, I am proud of it, but and because I am proud of it, that's why I get so upset because I feel let down. Yeah. When yeah. people talk about when they start talking and it's like this racist talk or send people back home, I feel let down because that's not that's not what I know. That's not what I'm proud of. I'm proud of that in this inclusive place like London. I'm, I'm proud of all the diversity and all these different people here. And people come here. People people have said to me they come here because they can be who they want to be. Yeah. Yeah. That was that was you know definitely I mean? something people say which I felt me. like. Was a re- that attitude was around when I was growing up. So in the nineties, early noughties, yeah. people come here because they for opportunity and they could be where they want to be. Yeah. I think maybe that's going. Yeah. Yeah. Why would you cut like the signal we've sent out to the world? Is, fuck off. Well, there's. Yeah. I mean, it just it, it, it sounds like it's a bit different, but it, it is related. It was today the uh, like the midwives association. Yeah. No one wants to be a nurse or a midwife in Britain anymore. Yeah. It's down. The applications were there was like ninety percent. Yeah, ninety percent. So there was like a hundred thousand each year, and now there's only been a thousand this year. Yeah. Well, yeah. If you were Spanish, you wouldn't be like, oh, that. what a fantastic opportunity. Britain and get back your control when no one can treat you in a hospital. I mean, this is what's really interesting is that <laughs> NHS has always relied on migrant labour from its inception. Yeah. It wouldn't have functioned without people coming over on Windrush and yeah. being nurses or, like, you know. But not to say, like, like, <laughs> like, 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 like we point out, it's, it's obviously, obviously it's an emotional thing because if you point out people like this country's built upon waves of, of migration. So yeah. we've talk, we go back to the Normans, Huguenots, Jews. It's a, it's a hodgepodge of people coming over, mm-hmm. and at one point these people were outsiders, and then over time they become the new elite or whatever you want to call it. So like, well, not even elite, like they probably just here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, it's like, like I said, well, like, when I come back to the manor, like East London, and I look at it. So obviously the the, the French were, put, were kicked out the Huguenots who were like. Protestants from their country and they came over here and they were ostracised, they were kept in like brick lane, away from all the other people but over time they became normalised. Mm-hmm. Then when the Jews came over I was like, oh no, I put the Jews where the Huguenots were and then the Bengalis came over. So it's always ways of migration but we all get along. 
We all yeah. get over time, we all get along. You might have like flare ups here every now and again, but that's people, like, you know? I don't know, it just, it just upsets me, like I said. It's like my dad keeps saying, oh, we need to go somewhere else, we need to leave, we can't stay in the rest of it. I'm like, Dad, where are you going to go? Going to France? Do feel like going to Germany? Going to go to Australia or America? I, I do that, I do appreciate what you're saying though no I, I understand what you're saying but this seems to be something that is not just confined no to no the UK. yeah I think or like England you know there is like a kind of global reaction to kind of like uh, this idea of being interlocked everyone just wants to go back to being themselves like these kind of like nations rather than nation states or imagined, but that was imagined community. it was never a reality in the first like you know it's that thing it's nostalgia for a golden age that never existed but like like since obviously since napoleon and like the kind of european europe like launched the project of creating nation states mm. these kind of homogenous groups where you're putting different groups of people and putting them together but it's been very enduring but it creates problems so for example like look at all the countries in africa that are created they're not stable because you've kind of drawn these arbitrary lines that don't really exist and put all these different groups of people together mm-hmm. and you, you create problems for yourself. But I, so people want to kind of go back. So this thing in Spain at the moment, like this idea like Catalonians want to be for themselves. I, I get that. I, I get the idea of sovereignty and self-determination. Mm-hmm. You can kind of, that resonates, but you also have the other hand, this, this kind of enduring idea of a nation state, this cohesive whole mm-hmm. that wants to create, like you said, an imaginative history, but it's so powerful and it's mm-hmm. so enduring because that imagined history can make you motivate people to do stuff. Like, the biggest killer of the 21st century was nationalism. It drove people to do crazy shit. Well, and it must have been the 20th century. Sorry, well. Like, yeah, all the Franco... Yeah, 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 oh, sorry, the 20th century. I think you did say that. Yeah, the 20th century, yeah, last century. Oh, did you? Yeah. Sorry, I meant 19th. I was like, 200, no. I got my confused. Yeah, 20th century. It caused people to do crazy stuff. Like, the idea that you can... That people people feel linked to a certain territory is it's powerful. Mm. Like, I've got a question for you. Would Brexit have happened without the internet? Oh no, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't See, know. So you know more about the same slogans were used for Bre- for the Brexit campaign for I think the same slogans were used after Windrush. So that same message was there. Did the internet give Brexit legs? Or is it something that was already... I think it's something that was already there. Yeah. But if the internet facilitates it, 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 it kind of amplifies the idea of fear. Yeah. Like that echo chamber thing, like, shh, shit, you've seen what happens in Australia, there's loads of immigrants. Sweden, that's the best example. I mean, loads of immigrants. Australia is just immigrants. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true. Hashtag um, genocide. <laughs> The best example is Sweden. Like, you always say, like, Sweden's overrun. Like, Sweden's obviously an example of a multicultural society, but they're saying it's not really the truth. Sweden's been overrun by diversity and multiculturalism and all that nonsense. Just going back to um, the nationalism point, I was reading Benedict Anderson, (laughs) who wrote a very famous book called... um, Imagine Communities. Is it called that? that? Yeah. It is called Imagine Communities. Best book ever. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a good book. an amazing book. But mm-hmm. one of the points he makes about racism is that it's a way... So, like, in Nations, we... The whole point is you're imagining that you have a connection with other people who have the same nationality as you. So, you know, I'm living in London, but I'm imagining that someone in Newcastle has a sense of the same history, the same language, same culture. You know, like, we have some kind of shared history 
and community, even if, you know, in reality, we'll never meet, we'll never speak to each other. Um, and his point about racism is that it's a way of placing people outside the nation state, because if you're black, you will always be black. Like, if you're a Jew, you will always be a Jew. You will never be... Or, like, you might be a British Jew, but you're always a Jew for very, yeah, first, first, first and foremost. Yeah. And so by reducing people to their physical characteristics, it's a way of refusing to allow them to assimilate because it's like, we'll always know you're black because mm. we can see it. You know, like, it's your skin colour. Mm. It's who you are. Mm. We will always be able to place you outside the nation yeah. and the same with like you know the way people used to or some people do still like caricature Jewish people be like well we'll always be able to tell that you're Jewish mm-hmm. so I think in a way the take back control thing or the rape like the racism has to be a part of that because it's a way like nations define themselves against people who are not part of the nation mm-hmm. so nations involve racism like preach that's good <laughs> but then, like, we see, like, if you pull, if Brexit's the first step, so why wouldn't you be an advocate for the UK building up, breaking up and doing its own thing? No, exactly. It, it, like, why do we need Wales? Yeah. Where, <laughs> where, do you, where, do you, where do you stop? And this is the thing, like, if we go back to, like I said, if we, this idea of regression back to the past, if we start breaking down to our, the, the kind of constitute parts of it, when I, think, when I think of the past, like the Prussian state or think of Prussia, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's always war. People fight each other yeah. all the time. All the time. That's why Europe was invented. Exactly. <laughs> but the whole point is to stop the fight. And then I'm thinking to myself, why do you want to break that up? Because any kind of like a cursory glance at European history, all it is is Europeans killing each other. That is a big FYI for this podcast. European Union wasn't invented to oppress British people. <laughs> it was invented. It was to keep people out of Europe. <laughs> <laughs> okay. On that note, I think we should. Yes, I think we should. You've been listening to Surviving Society with Saskia, Chantel, and Tiso. We'll be back every two weeks with a new episode, so don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>